I invite you to stand together as we share in hearing of God's Word this morning. Our scripture passage is a little lengthy <clears throat> to be uh, printed in the, in the bulletin, so I encourage you to follow along, listen as I share, and if you'd like to follow in your Bibles, we'll be looking at Matthew's Gospel, <clears throat> excuse me, the second chapter, verses 13 through 18. Hear the Word of God. When the Magi had departed... An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod will soon search for the child in order to kill him. Joseph got up and during the night took the child and his mother to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod died. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken to the prophet, I have called my son out of Egypt. When Herod knew the Magi had fooled him. He grew, grew very angry. He sent soldiers to kill all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the surrounding territory who were two years old or younger, according to the time that he had learned from the Magi. This fulfilled the words spoken through Jeremiah the prophet. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and much grieving, Rachel weeping for her children, and she did not want to be comforted because they were no more. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you. You may be seated. If you look on a Christian calendar, you'll notice that today is Epiphany Sunday. Epiphany itself is this coming Wednesday, which, if you do the math, is 12 days after Christmas Day. Epiphany The word means to make known or to reveal. And it's associated in in the church tradition with the visit of the Magi to Bethlehem as the official identifying or revealing of making known who this little baby born in Bethlehem was. Epiphany is not widely acknowledged as much in the U.S. as it used to be, but it's still observed in other parts of the world. Several years ago, when our youngest son, Tyler, was finishing up his his last year of of college, he was spending a year studying abroad in Vienna, Austria. A tough assignment, I know, but uh, he had to do it. And uh, Becky and I decided that uh, when he was there, it would be a, a great opportunity for us uh, to, to make that trip ourselves and just kind of see the sights. We'd never been to that part of the world before. So we headed out uh, on New Year's Eve, actually. We flew out uh, into Vienna, New Year's Eve, and uh, about the, the three or four days later, uh, we were in Salzburg, beautiful little town about 50 miles uh, of west, southwest, I believe, of Vienna. A beautiful place. By the way, you'll call it, that's where the movie The Sound of Music was filmed. Beautiful mountains, lakes. And uh, so we checked into the hotel in Salzburg and got up the next morning and were anxious to uh, see the town. So we get up, we, we walk into the city, and it's like a ghost town. The shops are all closed, stores are all closed, restaurants are all closed. We walked back to the hotel and said, you know, what's going on here? And they said, oh, nobody told you. Told us what? Today is Epiphany. And in that part of the world, Epiphany is serious business. They shut down everything. Epiphany for us 
is a reminder of the visit of the wise men. And it's a beautiful story. And it's a beautiful uh, setting that we often see depicted in nativity scenes, even though, uh, I hate to disappoint us, but we have no actual reference that they were there that same night. It was sometime around the time of Christ's birth, Mary and Joseph still in Bethlehem. It's a beautiful scene. But there's a dark side to Epiphany. There's a dark side to the visit of the wise men. And the dark side has to do with Herod. Do you remember Herod? The wise men had made their way to Jerusalem. And because that's the capital of Judea. So they get to Jerusalem and they go to the palace to ask Herod where this child is that is to be born. They had heard that this child was going to be the king of the Jews. Well, that didn't sit real well with Herod because Rome had appointed him, Tetrarch of Judea, so he was king of the Jews, even though he's not Jewish himself. And he didn't take very kindly to this speculation about some child being born to be the king of the Jews. So he goes to uh, the scribes and the Pharisees and he said, all right, what's, what is this about? And so they tell him about an ancient prophecy that the Messiah one day is going to be born and he's going to be born in the city of Bethlehem. So Herod goes to the, to the wise men and he says, all right, I understand that the child is to be born in Bethlehem. Now, Herod developed a scheme. He was a ruthless individual. And so he says to the wise men, I tell you what, you go to Bethlehem, you find the child, you come back, you tell me where he is so that I can go and worship him too. Herod had no intention of worshiping this little baby or even acknowledging his identity. Scripture tells us that the wise men were warned in a dream about Herod's plan. And so we're told that they went back a different way. Herod was one of the most evil, brutal, ruthless dictators the world had ever seen. It's said that one of the first things he did when he took his position of leadership was to kill a significant number of the Jewish Sanhedrin to make a statement to the rest of the Jewish leadership that he was not going to tolerate any kind of insurrection or, uh, or any opposition and things would be fine if they just played by his rules. During his reign, he personally ordered the death of his brother-in-law his mother-in-law, three of his own children. He made an effort to associate with the Jewish customs of the day, so he decided not to eat pork. And Caesar Augustus was so <clears throat> enamored with Herod's ruthlessness that Caesar Augustus once wrote, it is safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son." Herod was a horrible, vicious person. 
Five days before his own death, he arrested the leading citizens of Jerusalem and ordered that they be killed the same day he the same day he died, because he knew that no one would weep or mourn for him unless there was some other reason to mourn and weep. But the most vicious, brutal thing that. Herod ever did is actually something that's recorded in Matthew's gospel in the second chapter. And it has to do with the birth of Jesus. Allowing for no opposition and to ensure that this child had no chance whatsoever to gain footing in his territory. He ordered his troops to go to Bethlehem and to slaughter all the male children two years of age and under. It was the only way for him to crush any possible resistance and the elevation of this future king. And that night when that happened, it was not a silent night in Bethlehem, trust me. All throughout the town could be heard the moans and the wailing and the screaming of young mothers as their child, as their sons were literally taken from their arms and killed right in front of their eyes. It's a part of the nativity narrative you will never ever see on a Christmas card. You see, here's the, the dark side of epiphany. Not all the world was excited about Jesus being born. Not everyone even now welcomes the good news of the gospel. And the reality is that ever since God came into the world, there have been those in the world whose task and desire has been to do whatever can be done to silence any good news of Christ. Herod may be gone, but Herod's desire to silence Jesus, continue to be done in our world. If Herod means efforts to silence Jesus, who would Herod be today? Herod might be a secular culture that increasingly seeks to do whatever it can to remove conversation and reference about Jesus in the public arena. As a young pastor, I I remember being invited several times during the course of the year, uh, as were other pastors in that little town. We were invited to give an opening prayer at the sessions of the city council meetings or 
the, the sessions of court. It was just a common thing to do. That was back in the, the 80s. We did that for a few years, and then they started saying, we still want you to come and do the prayer, but you're going to have to give a generic prayer. You can't pray in Jesus' name. Now, I haven't checked it lately, but I, I can't even remember the last time I was invited to do something like that. I don't even think that's done anymore. Noonan may be the exception. I don't know. But it's very, very rare. Who is Herod if Herod is that force that seeks to reduce or minimize or silence the good news of Jesus? It could well be an ever-increasing activist atheism in America today. I learned something the other several months ago. I was doing some research for my, Lex, my Let's Talk class. We were talking about the rise of atheism in America, and I discovered something that I didn't realize, and I suspect that most people don't. Within the atheist community, there is a new and identifiable label that they're giving themselves. And it's called the new atheism. And and here's the difference. There was a time when atheists were content not to believe in God. But now, in the new atheism, that's not enough. And they... It's not enough that they don't believe in God. They really don't want any of the rest of us believing in God either. See, back in the good old days of atheism, if there is such a thing, back in the good old days of atheism, atheists were content not to believe in God, but they didn't care if other people believed in God. It wasn't any concern of theirs. Just leave well enough alone. But in the new atheism, it's far more political, it's far more aggressive, it's far more activist. And not only does the new atheism admonish that they don't believe, they don't want anybody else to believe either. That's why every time you turn around these days, there's a lawsuit. Anytime that even remotely there's a reference of religious faith or Christ or God and in schools or public settings, you're almost guaranteed some kind of lawsuit. That's the new atheism. We see it every Christmas, especially this past Christmas. I thought it was sad, the level that they've stooped. Uh, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on ad campaigns to dispel, dis- diminish the, the reality of Jesus, the truth of Christ, and the whole Christmas season. Maybe you saw the the billboard that was plastered on major cities across America. Shows this tiny little girl, sweet little girl. She's kneeling beside her bed. And above her, her, her image it says, All I want for Christmas is not to have to go to church. Suggesting that Christmas is something we can do without any spiritual application. Their tactics are less barbaric, but their goal is the same, to silence his message. Who is Herod in our day? This is a sad and scary reality that if the first century 
had a barbaric person named Herod who would kill at the drop of a hat, the 21st century has multitudes of individuals called Isis who will kill at the drop of a hat and who share his desire to silence any reference to Jesus and his truth. No wonder beheadings of multiple Christians at a time are commonplace. No matter the crucifixion of children, Christian children are commonplace. We don't see that on the television, but it's happening. But you know, Herod, there are those who continue to do Herod's work, to seek to silence Jesus. But Herod isn't always those external voices or forces out there. Sometimes it's far more personal. Sometimes it's a cancer or an illness that invades the body and invades the spirit and and tries to convince you by saying, Jesus doesn't really care about you. Jesus has no power to do anything in your life. You're wasting your time believing in him. Sometimes Herod is that small voice that many of us hear in the face of temptation or doubt when we go through some season of spiritual dryness in which that voice says to us, you don't need to let Jesus be Lord of your life. That's your prerogative. You do what you want to do. Live the way you want to live. You don't have to spend your time on earth listening to, following, obeying Jesus. If Herod is people, influences, situations that seek to push Christ out of We'll always have Herods. He'll seek to undermine and kill any relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. We need to resist Him and not give in to His power over us. You ever thought about this? There was one infant little baby that survived Herod's slaughter of the children. One little baby boy escaped. That was Jesus. Because an angel had warned Joseph in a dream to get up in the middle of the night and take Mary and the baby and flee to Egypt. And they did. 
Had it not been for Joseph's decision to flee, Herod's plan would have been accomplished. Imagine how different the world will be today. May the Jesus in you continue to escape any efforts that come against you to silence him, to remove him, or diminish his authority and his rule in your life. Let's pray. Oh God, for all the the Herods that seek even now to silence your message, to diminish your truth, to convince us that you are not worthy of uh, our devotion and glory and praise. We pray, oh God, continued vigilance. We pray, O God, that you would continue to guard our hearts and our spirits and our lives so that our faith in you and our love for Jesus Christ will withstand any and every effort to diminish it, challenge it, to remove it. O God, we pray that you'll continue to enable those of us living in these days to experience the power and the glory of what you did in those days that you came to live in the world and you are still here you've never left and as a reminder of your presence you give us a simple sacrament called the Lord's Supper and in it you remind us of your sacrifice for us and in it you remind us of your presence with us until you're coming again. So as we prepare yet again to receive the sacrament, may we come to this table, O God, with a desire for our lives to claim and embrace yet again power and the truth of Jesus the Christ. And to stand against all the Herods, whoever they are, whatever they are, that would seek to silence his truth. In the name and spirit of Christ we pray. Amen.